production. Thank you very much. That is Sean Michael Gloria behind camera, who sat with me today on episode 15. Uh, we had a, a good chat uh, about so many things, much more than him as an actor, a director, a producer, a writer. He does it all. Um, we went deep, guys, and if you're ready for that, so am I. Check it out. Let me know what you think. <laughs> Sean Michael Gloria, welcome to today's podcast. Thank you. <laughs> Love no, but done with the place. Man. Thank you very much. Yeah. Happy to have you here. You, I believe, are episode uh, 15. 15. I'll remember that forever. 15 in the can. We'll do, do tattoos after we, uh, we wrap out of here. Silence your cell phone if it isn't already. <clears throat> thank you, thank you. Uh, and then equally, since you're a man in the know, if you don't see a red light on uh, your camera, give me a holler and I'll restart it for you. My attention to detail is horrid, but <laughs> I'll do my best. Well, uh, happy to have you here um, and excited for what we're going to talk about. What are we going to talk about? I don't know. All kinds of things. You were, you were, uh, it was kind of intimidating at first. I'm like, ooh, I asked you that question and you're like, you just want to talk about you. I'm like, oh, uh -huh. so let me put uh -huh. in some thought into this. Who well, that's been the, uh, the, the kind of experience thus far is, um, Obviously, I am who I am, and I operate in the worlds I do. And so assuming I'm developing an audience of, of like-minded individuals, I like to think that the people I seek out to have conversation will, will fall in that uh, array of, of, um, of things, skill sets, networks, whatever, and it should be interesting. And equally, uh, by finding individuals like yourself, we'll have an interesting conversation that should be ever so enlightening and entertaining to a degree. Perfect. <laughs> so you were very eloquent, sir. <laughs> I, well, I, I do a little. Um, so we can start just uh, with an introduction of who you are, your yeah. your background here, and, and what you're doing. Yeah, uh, I'm Sean Michael Gloria. Stand six foot. I'm not six foot. I'm I'm five eleven. But in our industry, I'm six foot. Uh, we're currently in Atlanta, Georgia. So I'm an actor, writer. Uh, I produce every, you know, every once in a while when people will have me or if I have something that I want to commit the next two to three years of my life to. Um, so I do those things. I'm a screenwriter by trade. Um, bit of a filmmaker as well. Uh, I direct every once in a while. I'm just kind of in the industry, man. So I do a little bit of everything and I keep myself busy because mm -hmm. if I'm not busy, then I start to, you know, the existential crisis kicks yeah in, so. get busy living or get busy dying they say huh exactly yeah yeah i've uh tried one of those didn't like it very much i'm sure that'll come up later i'm sure <laughs> but uh i like where i'm at now and i like what i'm doing and and uh and i like talking about it so uh i guess i can i mean i'll start with acting because that was kind of like the first thing well and um, equally that was how uh our introduction to each other yes. uh, was yeah. was a project somebody um saw you were you had a casting or, or something and you were just looking. So that was our introduction that you needed a, a moto guy, mm -hmm. happened mm -hmm. to be one. Yeah. Um, and then once we got to, to know each other, uh, our experience in Atlanta is similar in the sense that uh, coming here for, for all things industry that it is, we kind of saw eye to eye on, on the, the many other ways we could create together, not just specific to that one project that brought us together. Right, right, which I don't even think like panned out it was kind of you know a friend was making something and they're like hey do you know anyone that rides motorcycles and uh and our mutual friend i i think i put on instagram he sent it to you and then uh we started talking and justin burns justin burns ever ready more time how are you justin yeah um 
Yeah, man. And then you tried to buy me a bubbly water and your card declined. <laughs> <laughs> Oldest trick in the book. Oldest trick. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. So, it never yeah, happened. So, so I took care of it. No, it's cool. Yeah, it yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, man. So I kind of, I'm just kind of clued in on different groups. If they need things, I try to help where I can. I don't always have to be like attached as a producer. I just love filmmaking and bringing people together and collaborating and mm -hmm. Uh, and so that was kind of a, a cool little random thing that has led to this, and, and I'm glad it did, man, because I enjoy your company and what you're doing. Well, we've had the fortune of hanging out o over the time in between, um, but would you say, uh, for our viewers at home, listeners, is it, are you more so an actor? Where do you spend most of your time these days? Like, what is your, your main pursuit? Like, obviously, we're wearing many hats, um, which you can buy online, uh, <laughs> but specific to the industry uh, as it as it fits now, what are you doing specifically? All of them. Uh, it just it depends, I guess, on kind of what's right in front of me. So right now, um, I'm in contract through June on a feature film project uh, with a with a, a company, um, which is which is pretty cool. It's one of the you know the bigger projects to come along that I'm involved with, and I really enjoy the story on that. Uh, so that's kind of my base. I'm also working as a content producer for a catering company that you know helps keep the lights on. And then uh, the strike is is over, man. So I'm back to auditioning, and you know we're we're getting back to work on that. So I want to say that that writing is probably the thing that I'm most engaged in all the time. Yeah. Um, my head is always in the acting game. I'm always studying, watching movies, reading books, taking a class, seminar here and there. Um, but the thing that kind of gets me out of bed the most is, is probably writing. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's, that's you coming up with stories that you like referencing lived experience. Like what's your go-to storyline that you, you jump into? What, what brings you out of bed? Oh man. Um, so a lot of it, because I kind of do it for work, a lot of it tends to be for clients, um, or chosen individuals who come to me with a story who need a writer. Uh, and then I start kind of helping them form the story and I'll end up writing the script. And then sometimes I'll stay on as a producer and help them pull it together. Uh, other times they take it and run with it, you know. So uh, what probably gets me out of bed, well, what used to get me out of bed a lot was like my obligations to others, right? Yeah. Uh, which maybe will build into that direction. But, but now, um, over the last couple of years, I've really developed some self-accountability, you know. Um, my my self-discipline game has like skyrocketed. So now I'm up every morning without fail, except for, you know, my one day during the week that I allow myself some some time to sleep in. Uh, I'm up at 5 a.m. every morning, you know, and I'm, uh, I start my day with writing. So I'm, I'm a big like journaler and it gives me balance. Um, and then typically well, I, I do what I got to do. And then your, your journaling process, is this just you like, you know, thoughts of the day, what you've been ruminating on, like what is generally like for a non-journaler? Yeah. So I kind of let it dictate itself in, in a way. So I, so I get up in the morning and the intent is to take all these things that are kind of floating around in here and put them on the page. And, and that way it kind of gives me an outside perspective and I can kind of see which parts of my life um, need some attention. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? A little attunement. Yeah, because uh, a lot of my life I spent out of balance. Um, and when I'm out of balance and I'm purely reacting from instinct, 
uh, I'm making emotional decisions and I'm knocking things out of balance and then I'm ignoring certain things over here and that kind of neglect lets mm -hmm. things run wild and and then I'm just trying to hold on you yeah. know what I mean so so journaling for me has really become an anchor in my life to where I can sit down I can put it all on the page and I and I don't necessarily restrict it if I want to start writing about you know what it is that I plan on eating that day I let it happen and then it falls into that nutritional category of my life you mm -hmm. know and, and then I'm having thoughts about that so it's it's more so about exploring the kind of subconscious mind and the things that are floating. Um, so that way I can uh, come back to, to balance, whether it's relationships uh, or my relationship, I'm monogamous, one. Uh, so that, that relationship, uh, my, my, my physical fitness, my nutrition, my spirituality, uh, my, my mental and emotional state, w which in my opinion kind of form into that spirituality. Mm -hmm. um, these are all things that need attention to detail, you know, and that's something I've really been working on because uh, I spent a lot of time as an escapist. Yeah. I was always looking for the thing that was going to get me away. Um, and now I'm kind of looking for the thing that's going to keep me present. Yeah, uh, it's a different style of living that I enjoy. It's interesting, uh, as you say that. That's that's not far off from my experience. Uh, albeit, I get there a different, you get a different way. Sure. Because identifying those pieces in me that um, the distractions, the shiny thing, you know, I'm a bit of a man of excess. It's like why one when sixteen is better, you know what I mean? <laughs> You're talking to another man of excess, and so, so I, that can I come understand. up in any yeah any number of ways, which could be bright and colorful and fun, and, and certainly still parts of my personality. But um, finding those grounding elements to keep me present and whatever that is, you know, if you're journaling to to make sense and put in order the thoughts of the day, um, I equally sit in in silence to to know my my brain's going to talk regardless, and it's yeah. going to say the wrong thing and it's going to say the right thing and it's going to tell me seven different ways to get to both of those things yeah. and so if i don't tell it to shut up and focus on whatever that thing if it's the tool being journaling or or, or equally fitness and and the choices i choose in that um it's so valuable to let you kind of come out of the the chaos and go what actually fucking matters yeah and yeah. then you can give it the attention it deserves yeah I love that you use the word tool because mm. that's what all of this stuff is, man. And it's yeah. If you're not all. using the tool, you are the tool. You are the and tool. And nobody wants to be a tool. And everybody knows it, man. <laughs> everybody knows you're that tool too, and you think they don't, but they fucking yeah. do. <laughs> uh, and once you realize that, you're like, oh shit, I need to get my shit together. Yeah. You know. And then you can develop the tools. Self awareness is powerful. Anymore. Powerful it's medicine, a, dude. It's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, but yeah. Tools, super important. Fitness as a tool, journaling as a tool, you know. So um, developing those things, learning what works for you is really important. And, and for me, writing is a, is a huge tool. It happens to be something that I'm really passionate about as well. Uh, so I've, you know, I've got like half a book written just sitting in a Google Drive, you know what I mean, that like I will return to eventually. But right now it's like screenwriting is paying the bills. It mm. feeds that, that artistic hunger. Uh, and then journaling in the morning is it just it, it also just it feeds me in a in a in a very um, not selfish isn't the right word but it's um, no I mean there's I mean I think that selfish gets a, a bad rep because I understand what you say where if I yeah. don't show up for myself first I'm gonna be showing up much less for everybody else that needs yeah. me anywhere else I'm glad you mentioned that because yeah, no, that's, I, that's I have an issue thing. with selfish having a bad rap yeah. because at the end of the day we all need to be a certain amount of selfish. Mm -hmm. Uh, before we can show up for anyone else. 
if I don't take care of myself, I'm of no use to anyone in my life. Yeah. The big, big thing that's always easy for people to understand in that, that, uh, that framing is to say, like, as a lifeguard, when they teach you, I was a lifeguard at Sunsplash hey. uh, for many moons um, as a younger man, that uh, when, they, when you learn, they go, whoever's drowning, if you go in and, you know, you go in, they'll grab onto you, you're going down yeah. with them. And so the yeah. first thing you got to do is make sure you're good, separate yourself. And then you can can help them because otherwise you're both going down. So that's yeah. a very dumbed down version of just being mindful of boundaries and taking care of yourself to then be available yeah. for yeah, for man. others when they need it. And that's that is so true because I've I've noticed um, even more so now. I've got a lot more clarity in my life. I guess I'll just be out with it. I'm, you know, a year and a half sober. What? Right? Yeah, yeah. And it was a, it was a huge thing that I needed to do like for myself. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, and it's giving me a lot of clarity. And now I, now I can see those things when, when someone's kind of flailing. Uh, it's easier for me to recognize that and then develop a way to respond to it that allows me to help them if they need it without putting myself in mm. danger. Because otherwise, if you're reacting to things, to kind of touch on what I had said a while ago, instincts. If you're reacting to, to things, you're becoming kind of a liability to yourself mm -hmm. and other people. Um, and so if you make sure you're good first and you can respond, um, I feel like it, it, it comes out better for you, you know? Mm, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Well then, and, and uh, to touch on it, uh, and then we can loop back to it. So a year and a half, mm -hmm. kudos to you. Thank you. This is a night and day difference that you're experiencing. This is the first time going sober. Like what, what has been your relationship with alcohol? Yeah, I have tried to get sober a number of times on my own for a long time. It was, um, you know, I can stop whenever I want, you know. Uh, so it was, uh, I thought I was in control of this thing that was just beating me into the fucking ground any chance that it had. You know what I mean? Like my life, there's so much of my life that, you know, thinking about it kind of makes me a little sad, but then I don't really hold on to it. But so much of that, like I was a professional blackout artist. Like I don't even remember <laughs> a lot of the things that happened. I just knew that like, like the type of drunk I was was not like a, a violent or scary drunk or anything like that. I just loved to have a good time. I was just very like uh, hedonistic kind of, you know, let's have some fun. And, you know, I was yeah. everybody's best friend when I was drinking, but then I'd wake up and not remember how I got home or where we ended up or I'm like missing a shoe or, you know, it was just, there was too much of that. You were an um, escape artist from yourself. You're like, yeah, I was trying what? to escape myself and it was by pouring myself into other people and like, mm. I'd end up in like strangers houses, you know, for like some after party and I'm like, where the fuck am I? Yeah. And I'm like 10 miles from my house because I jumped in someone's truck bed as they were pulling off and I'm like, how the hell do I get home from here? I'm losing my phone. I'm, Dude, I've spent days having to revisit and figure out which bar I was at, you know, like finding matchbooks in my pocket. I'm like, I must have been there, and then I'll find my stuff there. I'm like, yeah. it's just, it's not cool. It's not a good look. I'm being the tool, you know. Um, but so that was a lot of what my life was from, like, I probably started, like, hitting it hard at like 16, 17. Mm -hmm. um, my first drink was stupid early. I was like 12, you know, I was like stealing beers out of my parents' fridge and stuff. Mm -hmm. Cause I was curious. My parents were kind of drinkers, partiers. They like having people over. Um, and it just got, it got normalized for me like way early. And was heavy drinking normalized or just drinking normalized? Uh, so, so my dad, you know, my dad and, and 
I'm not throwing shade at anybody. I love my parents, you know what I mean? Like my dad wasn't really a heavy drinker or anything. He liked to have people over um, every once in a while, you know, I'd be on the dance floor at some, you know, local pub with him and I'm like, you know, he's got the jukebox going and yeah. I'm like entertaining people <laughs> as they're drinking, you know yeah. what I mean? But uh, it was just kind of, it was normalized in, in that sense. I think uh, heavy drinking was, was kind of hidden from me, I think, if it was happening, you know? Heavy drinking was something that I kind of, uh, I didn't realize exactly that it was a problem, but it was just, my idea of drinking was always, you drink to get destroyed. You drink to just get absolutely wasted. Well, and if I recall, you're, you, you have uh, some Florida time? Yes. Yeah. And that was, uh, that's kind of where I, it really set in, mm -hmm. I guess. You know, I, um, so I grew up in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Mm -hmm. I drank in high school. I was, you know, finding booze where I could, and I was drinking here and there, and I was getting drunk, and I was even blacking out at that age. You know what I mean? But yeah. it wasn't like I didn't have access to it. And I wasn't old enough to buy it on my own, so, so I didn't really recognize it as a problem. When I turned 19, I moved to Florida, started going to school out there, and uh, I was like studying business. I was kind of didn't know what I wanted to do. I was trying to figure shit out. And so, so my life, the, the fun parts of my life were really just waiting for the weekend. I was a weekend warrior, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and then, you know, I was, I was in an environment with older people people who had access to things I'll put it that way and unfortunately I found myself you know living in an environment where that was like the thing to do they were they were like weekend warriors mm -hmm. as well and this is where I started to realize like how it started to creep in from the weekend into the week to five o'clock every day and all of a sudden it was just like it was a thing that's just what people do and there were so many people doing it around me that I was like, oh, yeah, this is just what being an adult is. Cool. So I'm like going to school and working full time, you know, hitting it pretty hard on the weekends and stuff, sometimes during the week. And then I discover acting, you know, because uh, I found myself kind of miserable sitting at this job and uh, like hung over all the time. And I'm like, there's got to be more into life than this, you know. Um, and so I had this, I, rem uh, I remembered this moment when I was a kid, I had seen a, a movie trailer for like Mission Impossible and like mm. Tom Cruise is like doing all this cool shit and he's jumping off things. He's coming down on the wire and I'm like, what the fuck is that? I'm like, I want to do that. That looks cool. That mm -hmm. looks fun. My grandfather was like, that's not for normal people. That's not, you're going to get a job. You're going to start a business. That's not a, that's not a thing that. Very practical. We do. And, and bless his heart, I mean, he's trying to protect me, right? right. Like my grandfather, I was raised primarily by my grandparents. But um, it was like a, yeah, just, just stay the path kind of thing. Which I got to Florida. Yeah, you're good here. I got to Florida and uh, remembered that memory, thought of an acting, looked up an acting class, found one like within walking distance to my house. Mm -hmm. So I signed up and then like two months after I joined this acting class because I became so obsessive about it uh, my performance at work started to drop then they fired me mm. right well so now I'm unemployed it was the best day of my life <laughs> because I was like I have this new thing that I can just obsess over yeah and so that's that's what I did I just started getting on every film set possible uh, meeting people in acting classes started kind of you know gaining some materials 
And then I decided I'm going to California, mm-hmm. you know. Um, As you do. I got, a, you know, a couple of, of uh, applause after, you know, dropping a monologue in class and, and having like a, uh, it's like a scene showcase where people would come and there was people talking to me after class and like, oh, you know, that was a really good, you know, thing you did or whatever. And I'm like, I got it. I got it. I'm going to California, you yeah, know. I am so Tom Cruise on the way. I am the next Tom Cruise. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I ended up buying a, a passport, Honda passport. My, well, oh, okay. I was about to say you don't need a passport to go to California. No, 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 no. Not that kind okay. of, not that kind of passport. Yeah. Well, so my my family was like, they found out that I had got gotten fired, mm-hmm. and then uh, they found out also that I had stopped going to school. Mm-hmm. And so at the time they were like, look, you can't. You can't live here if you're not going to school and you're not working. Okay. I'm like, okay, bet. So took what money I had, uh, went back to Colorado, kind of regrouped for a second, bought a car, and then I drove out to California and I lived in that car. Mm-hmm. And I just did kind of the typical thing that you hear a lot of artists and aspiring actors doing is they go out there and they rough and tough it and they try to make their way. And you know, I, I did all that stuff. And this is in like t- uh, 2012-ish. Okay. Similar timeline. I went uh, 2010. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, trying to think. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, not 2012. What? How old are you? Right now. Yeah. I just turned 35. 35. What year did you graduate high school? 2007. Okay, so I was 2006. Um, but then to graduate college, uh, the film program I went to had me out 2010. Yeah. Because I was like, oh, LA. That's what you do. Right. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't advise it if you're young, have no money, and you are harboring uh, nightmarish addiction <laughs> issues. <laughs> yeah, or they just pull fuel on the fire for you. Well, yeah. right, because like, well, what's the first thing that you do when you get out there? You look for a job. What's one of the easiest jobs to get? You go into a restaurant, yes, yeah. you can wash some fucking dishes or bust some tables, yeah. you know what I mean? And, and so that's what I did. I ended up getting a job and busting tables, and then all of a sudden I worked my way into becoming a bartender mm-hmm. uh, so I could you know, start making some serious money, and I climbed that ladder pretty quick. And now I'm slinging drinks, and the place that I was working, they wanted me to bond with the, the clientele, so they're like, have some drinks. If someone wants to buy you a shot, whatever. Yeah. Well, then that just compounded, yeah. and I was just shit-faced every day, you know what I mean? Because I had no, no moderation. And again, I thought this is just what people do, because the environment that I was in and kind of what I was, what I was taught when I was in Florida was, this is just what people do. This is mm-hmm. normal, you know? So I never thought twice about it. Um, and I, I didn't really have like a reason to stop, I guess. Yeah. But then that compounded into like, now I'm hanging around with people who just kind of spend all their time in bars and I'm less focused on the acting stuff, more focused on just being liked Mm -hmm. by these people who didn't really like have a whole lot going. They didn't really care to, to achieve things. They just wanted to get fucked up all the time. Uh, so I fell into that circle, uh, and then started graduating from you know alcohol and and like weed um i didn't even i wasn't even really like a big weed smoker alcohol was my gateway drug into other things mm-hmm. had a couple of drinks and then i was all of a sudden i was cool with anything because it felt good to escape yeah i was upset and irritated that you know i wasn't pursuing the acting thing or i wasn't i wasn't getting that agent ah oh, drink you know oh i didn't get selected for this audition ah oh, drink you know, so it's just finding reasons to be mad at the world instead of taking any kind of responsibility. Yeah. I would just drink it away. That's how I learned how to cope because I didn't have someone in my life. You know, I, I did when I was with my grandfather, but I didn't because he was he was dad figure. Yeah. And I'm 
you know, kind of a non-conforming rebel at heart. So it was kind of like, oh, I'm not listening to you. You don't know. You don't know my life. Yeah. You know? Uh, and so then I end up in California on my own. And all I really know is what I learned from some of the older influences in my life. And that was how to, to, to party and have a good time because that's what life is about. Interesting, uh, as you say that, I think like, you know, similarities between um, what it would be to, to come up in Florida migrate over to Los Angeles and just being a bartender and all things like the idea of falling into the pattern of like drinking. Uh, when I think a lot of addiction is because you like how you feel more when you're drunk than your sober yeah. self. Yeah. And not, that's because cool of any number of, of reasons that it's the job that you, your life, you know, whatever it is, people in Florida generally, and this isn't a, uh, I'm not shitting on Florida. I love Florida. I'll go back there all day. Um, it's a lot of retired folks. They already went and did their things. The things yeah. that, that they aspire to and motivate themselves with, they already went and did. So Florida became a ipso facto, you know, Jimmy Buffett land, where it's like they're all chilling. Yeah. And so if you're that younger. Vibe is so strong too. And if you're younger, you can fall into that pattern hanging out with people that like, they're not motivated. They already did the thing. And so now if I'm acting like them, like with, with bypassing the whole life portion of things, you know, that's a slippery, slippery slope. So much so to fast forward to California to be hanging out with people that may, that could be a trick too, that like sometimes uh, would get me, would you meet a, a, a famous person? You'd be with some type of celebrity scenario or, or a, um, a person that, that could change your world yeah. in a social dynamic that's just drinking where like, you know, they're full send. We're like, I'm full send too. What are we going to get into? Uh, in an almost um, lie to myself way that like, if I'm socially available in this situation, it'll pay off in, in this other thing, yep. you know, thousand percent. And so that could be uh, a similar where it's like, oh, I'm not there yet. I'm not like, why am I permitting myself to act in such a way when clearly I haven't done the work to deserve any of this relief? Because there's that validation mm -hmm. in feeling accepted and the like chemical in a, validations. In approved yeah. of, yeah, and chemical validations as well. So, I mean, you're hanging out with this, with this group, and if that person who kind of, like if you do a quick power analysis, that celebrity that's in the group kind of has, maintains a certain kind of power over, the, over, over this, this group. And mm -hmm. so if that person says, hey, we're drinking, everyone else kind of tends to fall in line, and mm -hmm. so that's what we're doing. Now we're drinking, you know, so that kind of influence it doesn't necessarily just have to be celebrities, but kind of anyone in your life. Think about who your influences are. Think about like if you look up to somebody, they, whether they are aware of it or not, have a power over you and their yeah. influence means something. Absolutely. Typically, we want validation from that person. So if that person says, oh, we're going to go out for a couple of drinks. I like to drink. <laughs> Say I, I want to do that. Yeah. You know, I want to drink with you. And then you want to be that person's person, you know, mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden, you've taken on all their bad habits and now they're your bad habits, mm -hmm. you know? What's the, the saying? It's like, you know, show me your, your five closest friends. That is your personality, yeah. everything. And so by aligning 100%. yourself with individuals that are, you know, whether it's they're just partiers, you know, that'll be you. If they're assholes, that'll be you. If they're fit as fuck and millionaires, that'll be you. And so yeah. being mindful of those things and, and along the way, and obviously these are lessons we learned throughout life, but uh, yeah. it's so true. Yeah. Well, and, and I was, I've always been, um, not so much now because I'm developing in a different way, but I was always very easily influenced uh, because I was so concerned with being liked. And now you got me like, when you check, I check. Yeah, I'll take it. Yeah. Um, I was so concerned with being liked, man. And we don't have to get, you know, too deep into this. And, and I'll start, I'll premise this with saying that I absolutely love my mother and she's a wonderful person and, and we are good. 
uh, and she was doing the best that she could at the time. Mm -hmm. But she's the person that decided I needed to be raised by my grandparents because she had things that she was going through that she was dealing with, and she'd gotten pregnant with my my little sister, and it was the the financial burden was a bit too much. So so her you know solution for that was asking for assistance from my grandparents. I don't fault her with doing that at all anymore. Mm -hmm. But for a long time, I, I held a resentment for that. I was upset about it. It was, that was the thing that was kind of driving me was this anger of abandonment and like feeling isolated and just less than. Yeah. And so what that did is it turned into like this fucking undying need of validation and codependency on everybody that was in my life. Mm -hmm. when, when the answer really was letting go of all that and learning how to love myself, right? Mm -hmm. But that wouldn't come until so much later. So that whole time I was in California was just, you know, years and years of, of uh, trying to find the crowd that I fit in, that I felt the most valid with. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, misery loves company. And when you fail to realize that someone is miserable because they are showering you with grace, you tend to fall into that trap of, of this person is one of the kindest people I've ever met. Are they doing so much for me? Oh my God, like, why are they so nice? And it's because they're miserable and they're looking for that validation as well. And yeah. they have something that they can offer people. It could be drugs, it could be alcohol, whatever the case Everybody loves be. an enabler. Exactly. <laughs> Especially if they're like giving it to you for free. Yeah. And it's like, I was broke actor. I was making money bartending, but spending it all on drugs and alcohol and stuff. And so, yeah. so now it's like, you kind of attach yourself to these people who are willing to give it to you. And then your, your problem just compounds even more, you know, and it's just a bunch of sad people hoping to be liked by each other. And it's, that's a sad deal, man, mm -hmm. you know, and it's a, it's a slippery slope and it just gets worse. And so I had the wherewithal and just started doing some like, some thief shit, man. Like, I was getting into some bad shit. Mm -hmm. And I had the wherewithal to step away for a second and go, wait a second. Wait a minute. This isn't why I'm out here. And I could hear my grandpa, you know, my grandfather's voice kind of in my head, like the lessons and the things that you can kind of drill into me. I could hear that from time to time. And so eventually, well, so I'll share a quick story. I ended up getting invited to this to this party. Stand by on that, getting invited to the party. Yeah, yeah. The battery's dead. Oh, no. So, the specific misfortune when the battery's dead, I jumped that microphone. I I, I like uh, getting into the the truth, man. Like the just the, the honesty, the nitty gritty of things. Speeding again, and I fucked up the focus. Ah. Uh, uh, <laughs> So you found yourself invited to? Yeah, yeah. So I was uh, working out in LA. I get invited to this party. It was for this, you know, uh, 
uh, for this big time director that you know had a hit. It was, it was their like second, uh, their like debut feature. If it was a debut, it was a really big movie, and it was their follow-up movie to that. And it was this industry kind of party going on, and and I get invited because I worked with one of you know the assistants on the movie or whatever uh, at our day gig, and didn't know anyone there. And I show up at this party, and I'm having a good time, but I'm just I'm really hitting it hard. Yeah. Um, fast forward, end up in an argument with some dude bro over something, right? And we like start getting into it. Like it's about to be a fight. Well, because people there knew him, no one there knew me, I'm the bad guy, right? So they're like, get the fuck out. I'm like, all right, fine, I'm out. Uh, and I start leaving and, uh, oh man, how far, how, how many details do I give of this? I end up, fuck it. I get mad as, mad as hell that I'm getting kicked out of this party, right? So like, as I'm leaving, I know, I'm like, I've got, uh, I gotta pee and there's no, I can't ask to go back in the house to pee, yeah. <laughs> they've already kicked me out. So I go around the side of the house and I'm like peeing in a bush, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I just get hit with a spotlight. And I'm like, that's a very bright flashlight. <laughs> and then I hear the intercom come out from behind the bush, hands where we can see him. I'm like, fuck, I'm about to catch a charge for being exposed. It's just a bad look. Fix myself, come out. Right, get over here. In LA with, with your dick out, now you're like, am I allowed to reach into my pants or they're gonna like, who knows what they're gonna think's happening next. Right. Things to consider. Things to consider, dude. Um, and so, so I'm backing out. All of a sudden, I just I feel someone grab the back of my fucking shirt, thrown on the ground, arms ripped behind my fucking back. I got a knee in my neck. I'm being handcuffed. I'm like, fuck. Like, it's over. Yeah. <laughs> it's over for me, you know? Um, I'm like, I'm in the mud, too. And like, LAPD, look, I don't know any of y'all personally, but y'all, y'all a little aggressive. Just a little bit. I'm, yeah. I understand it's not a good look, but I was like, damn, like I'm getting, I'm getting the works right now. And so they're kind of talking shit to me and they're like, you know, what are you doing out here? And I tell them, you know, it's just, there's a party going on. And they're like, party? I'm like, yeah, there's a, this, there's a party in this house. I was leaving the party. They had, as soon as the, the cops had rolled up or, or they got tipped off or something, all the lights went off, everyone shut up. There was like 250 fucking people in this house. It was insane. Everyone's dead quiet. I'm like, there's a party. They go and knock on the door. He's like, he says there's a party here. Is there a party? The dude's like, what? What? Oh man, and you're in cuffs next to the car. Like, yeah, I'm like, I'm covered in mud, looking up at the door, like you motherfucker, right? And, he, and the dude's looking at me. He's like, I've never seen him before. I'm like, okay. So they close the door. LAPD you know, stands me up, and I don't remember exactly what they were saying, but uh. I don't know who's looking out for me. Call comes through on the radio. And they all just, energy shifts. There was like four of them, I think. Mm-hmm. Three of them take off. And the last dude is taking the cuffs off me. He goes, it's your lucky night. Bounced. And they took off, you know, hit the sirens, gone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm standing in front of this house, covered in mud. Just had my dick in my hand. <laughs> the police were roughing me up. And I knock on this door. Oh, you're not done yet. Okay. I knock on this door 
And the same dude. Oh, <laughs> yeah, he went back to the same house. <laughs> this dude answers. He's just staring at me. And I'm staring at him. And I'm like, I got to drive. And I have a cup of water. And the dude slams the door and I'm just standing there. And he comes back and he hands me a cup of water. Okay. Closes the door. Okay. And so I'm like, I'll take that. I'll take that. We're good. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I drink it and, and I leave and uh, and I never saw that that person who invited me to the party at, at work again. At least I don't remember. Mm-hmm. But that was that was probably my first major like hitting like kind of rock bottom you know mm-hmm. what i mean because like my brain was all messed up from like drugs and alcohol and just being lost mm-hmm. you know end up at that party that was massively embarrassing for me um and it actually spawned the idea that i needed to leave california so i ended up you know calling my grandfather saying you know i think i i need to come home with my tail between my legs and, and kind of regroup what year is this figure out i think this was 2015 okay 16-ish and uh, he was, without saying I told you so, you know, he's kind of he's kind of like, all right, come on back, mm-hmm. you know, we'll we'll figure out what you're gonna do next. What I ended up doing next was trying to give up acting. Couldn't stop thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just, it was just nagging at me. I got a job at a gym. I was selling gym memberships, you know, and I couldn't stop thinking about acting. And so I ended up, um, and I'll fast forward a little bit, but I. I ended up going back to Florida, getting getting back into the kind of indie scene, and with intent, uh, developing uh, my demo reel and stuff like that, with the idea that I was going to end up moving to a bigger market. I just didn't really know where. Um, but then, you know, going back to Florida, it was like there was there was groups out there that I didn't really need to be hanging around that I fell back into as well. Did you have any preconceived notion that I should avoid those people, or did you not think twice about it? Be like, still, I'll call Jerry when I, I get in town. I didn't think that I had like a problem. Yeah. I always blamed, you know, everyone else. It was always kind yeah. of like, oh, you know, that environment or those people. But it wasn't, you know, those environments everywhere. It was like this particular bar. I don't need to go there and see those people. I can go to this bar. Instead. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Uh, so I ended up not. You know, not doing, um, I still didn't realize that I needed to do the work. Uh, and so I successfully built my demo reel, built, you know, my name in this kind of smaller market. And, and there's, there's some really, really passionate and brilliant filmmakers in Florida mm-hmm. um, that I keep in touch with to this day. That it's just like, they're like extended family to me. Uh, and I love working with them and collaborating. So I built my demo reel with the, with the help of these amazing filmmakers and, and I ended up um, coming to Atlanta and I, I had gone to a couple AA meetings in Florida, but it was more so because I was, I was working at a bar again, like <laughs> just, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was working security at a bar. It was like a bougie whiskey club. And, uh, I was working with a bartender there who ended up leaving, getting into AA. I ran into her kind of randomly. She looked amazing, right? Mm-hmm. She was like super fit. All of a sudden, she just had this glow to her. And I'm like, what happened? Like, where'd you go? What's the secret? She's like, uh, I got sober. And I was like, really? I was like, mm, maybe that's something I should consider, right? 
and then I just I realized that uh, you know she she invited me and I started going and then I realized the reason why I was going was because I was interested in her not because I was interested in getting sober mm. and so this is where now in hindsight I'm starting to realize that like there was a lot more that I needed to deal with it was it wasn't necessarily as as you'll hear in the rooms now is that like I didn't. I didn't have a drinking problem, I had a thinking problem. Mm. And that thinking always drove me to drink. And so the way that I was thinking was that, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to this AA meeting and entertain this so I can win the validation you know, of this beautiful woman. Mm -hmm. And um, so I went and when I realized that she wasn't interested in me, I stopped going. Mm -hmm. you know? uh, and so lo and behold, the problems persist. So then I end up packing a backpack um, had a, had a conversation with a friend who had moved to Atlanta and he offered me like his couch, right? Mm -hmm. He's like, if you wanna come up here, come up here. And I again found myself in this, in this vicious cycle of substance abuse in Florida and I'm looking for an escape. That was always my, that was always my- Did you find a bartending job when you got up here? Uh, I, I did get a job as a host in, in a restaurant and it lasted like three days cause I was like, I was making like, 35 bucks a shift and I was like this is insane like, yeah you know it's not gonna work so I came up and ended up staying on my buddy's couch and uh then it was it was just like trying to find work I was working as like a brand ambassador for like random companies and mm -hmm. I was ended up on a bus and going to different cities and stuff and so so my my tendency to run because I, I was a runner. I would just run from my, all my problems. Ruin my reputation in California, I'll just run to another, I'll go back to Colorado. Ruin my reputation, I'll run to Florida. I'll run somewhere else. And so now it's like my job takes me to different cities because I'm working as a brand ambassador. And my thing to explore the city was just bar crawling around the city. That's how mm -hmm. I got to know the city and talking to locals, talking to bartenders. And... Uh, the cycle just continues, you know what I mean? And so you wake up after blacking out a number of times and, and then you just forget about it because you just stop talking to those people or whatever. Um, and in Atlanta, I was just couch surfing, so I didn't really have any responsibility, had no one to be accountable to, none of that. Mm -hmm. um, and I ended up getting a manager out here after showing her my demo reel. This was like pretty early on too. And I was, I was still just, you know, a mess. But she saw something in me, believed in me, uh, took me on as a client. That gave me some hope. Then I got serious about screenwriting because I was like, man, I'm not booking anything. Write your own roles. Mm -hmm. So then I start studying screenwriting, start taking seminars, intensives, whatever. I get pretty serious about it. Now all of a sudden I'm kind of making my own money. I don't have to travel or go anywhere. I can work from home. So this is a bit of a shining light. Cool. Well, now instead of, of going out, because now I've got a little bit of responsibility, right? Instead of going out, now I'm just buying cheap booze and bringing it home. And now I'm just I'm drinking while I'm writing all day. And it was, I was like very oh, Hemingway functional. I know, right? Like, dude, and when I looked up to those guys, like Hunter S. Thompson and Hemingway, yeah, yeah, yeah. Charles Bukowski, it was like, I was always just like. In LA, I lived for, uh, two streets over from his childhood home. Really? Yeah. That's so cool. If we end up back uh, on some trip, I'll, I'll take you by his spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's awesome, dude. Um, I, I, I love those, those, uh, those kind of rough and tough writers, especially like the beat generation. Like those guys were huge influences. On the road was like a huge influence for me because I was living that life. I was mm -hmm. going city to city, finding you know, little dive bars where they were playing some music and then just getting like 
shit housed. Do you, uh, to interrupt your wonderful flow, you ever Jack Kerouac? Yeah. Man, if that isn't just a fever dream, like how he writes. Yeah, that's what like I'm saying. Dude. <laughs> Fever dream's like, a great way to describe it. I can't read it when I go to bed because then I'll be like up all night because it's just so like just his cadence. It's just it's just so funny. Um, yeah, it's it's beautiful and it like it really makes your mind wander and you kind of well, it's very fantastical. Being, the way that we're already wired, uh, being men of excess, writers like that take us where we want to go. Literary, liter, uh, literary, literary, literarily. Uh, we both wise. we both came to that, so that's what yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where to read it is to be at that party, to feel the excess. They do the thing that I would do, and I go, oh, yeah, I got that. I, I, yeah, I'd do that, too. Yep. And so you take the ride with them, so it's such a fun experience yeah. in yeah. that sense. Yeah. Um, well, and, and I, I love those guys, and I feel like I'm getting a point to, in this where it's getting repetitive, and that's mm -hmm. how I started to fuel with, with drinking, you know what I mean? So um, – Everything kind of changed when I was deciding where to go next. Still didn't realize I had a problem. Mm -hmm. Then I met my, uh, who would become my now fiance. And it was out at a bar yep. where I was getting shit-faced. And I sat down next to her. And at the time, I had a septum piercing. And uh, I know she had one, but mine was like flipped up. And so I'm like, oh, this girl's really cute. Hmm. I want to sit next to her and start conversation. Mm -hmm. Sit down next to her and I'm like, I like your septum. Pop mine out, and she's like, oh, cool. You know, she was kind of like <laughs> playing it cool, whatever. Uh, then we, you know, started hanging out and couldn't stop thinking about her. And um, then I had someone in my life that I was like accountable for mm -hmm. who, you know, my actions had an effect on. And so it took, uh, it took a number of She is the most patient and understanding person I've ever met in my life. And it took a number of rock bottoms to, to wake up. Um, and she understood, she understood that it, that, and this isn't me pushing any kind of accountability, but she understood that it is, that addiction in itself is, is a, it's, a, it's a mental disease. And unless, unless we are aware of that and willing to do the work, you're not, you're not really going to get better from it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. and, and, and she had hope that I was going to wake up and do the work. And so I had heard a number in my times in my life, like, I think you should slow down on the drinking. I think you probably drink too much. You know, heard it from my grandpa, heard it from my mom, heard it from a number of people and friends. <laughs> I was just known as the guy who would just turn up, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and, and she, you know, she'd mentioned it a couple times and she's like, look, I'm never gonna tell you what to do or how you should live your life, but it's something that I observed and, uh, and I want you to be happy and healthy and I wanna live a long life with you and I think it's something that, you know, you should be aware of. And I was like, no, nah, I'm good, I'm in control. You know, I can stop when I want. I just, I don't feel the need to stop because I don't think it's... This was your reply or was this an internal monologue? No, this is, this is like, that was more of an internal monologue. Reply to her was like, yes, I hear you. You know, mm -hmm. I'll, I'm, I'll work towards it. And this is kind of where I started like trying to control my drinking where I'm like, mm -hmm. all right, I'll have like two or whatever. Um, and so I went through a little bit of a phase with that. And, and I, you know, ended up at a, a family member's wedding 
And you know, I was giving a speech, so the, so the nerves were setting in, and I'm like, I'll just have you know, a couple whiskeys on ice, just to set all the nerves, and then I'll stop. Well, I went from a couple whiskeys on ice to waking up in an ambulance. And I'm being manhandled, you know, fucking arms are up, and they're checking me, they're pulling shit out of my pockets, I'm hooked up to a fucking machine, they're chattering in their lingo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, what is happening? And I look up and I, the doors are closing and she's just standing there terrified, tears, right? And I'm like, what happened? Um, and so they're taking me and I'm like, I'm conscious like for the ride and I'm hearing them talking and they're like, you know, you took something, you overdosed. And I'm like, what? Like, what are you talking about? I get to the hospital and I'm like in this bed. And then she shows up and she's, you know, I don't know how she got there. And she's sitting next to me and the nurse comes in. She's like, what did you take tonight? I'm like, uh, so I had found someone's pack of cigarettes. And I had opened it with the intent to have a cigarette because I used to be like a chain smoker. Mm-hmm. Have a cigarette, find a little baggie. It's like a little two gram bag. Mm-hmm. I'm like, hmm, we're about to you have say, a little fun. Because like? yeah. now I've got a little booze brain after a couple yeah. of whiskeys and I'm not thinking right. And so I'm like, I found this, it's all mine, I don't have to share, I'm gonna go have a little fun. Went to the bathroom, had a couple of those, and uh, so this nurse comes in, she's asking me, I'm like, I have, I have no idea. She's trying to get me to, to admit it. Finally, she just hits a point, she's like, you overdose on fentanyl. Just, just so you know. And she's like, and you popped for cocaine. I'm like, okay. And you know, I, was, I was given cocaine earlier in the night. And ironically, the only reason the fentanyl didn't kill me is because I had the faintest heartbeat left. So I stopped breathing, everything shut down. Lips, face, blue, fucking, yeah. And someone at the wedding had Narcan in their truck. And so when they realized what happened and they came running in, gave them the Narcan, saved my life. So they had Narcan? They had oh, Narcan wow. in, their, in their truck. Cause I would have been, cause the amount I took, dude, I thought I was doing like, and not that it's any better. It's, yeah. it's all fucking horrible. But I, I thought I was doing something completely different. And um, cause I knew, that stuff was, was present, you know what I mean? And uh, so I hit, end up doing fentanyl and it almost kills me and the only reason, the irony of the situation, the only reason I stayed alive is because the cocaine kept that faintest heartbeat right. going. And so that's, that's a thing to think about, like, you know, good Lord. And so, boom, another rock bottom. Mm-hmm. And I come home and I'm like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I'm gonna get sober. So then I, I, had, I had actually kept the literature that I was given from going to AA years ago. So then I go and I, if that's not a sign, right? Well, was it, a, what do you think, a, a subconscious? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Cause like I kept both of them. just gonna leave this over here for someone else, not me. Yeah, it was like in the closet, stored away, right? Yeah. It's like I got the 12 steps and I got the big book, you know what I mean? Filed in when you're ready. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and so, so I start kind of going through the, through the step and I'm, I'm like reading through the, I read through the 12 steps, right? And I'm like, 
And by the way, like this isn't a way to you know promote the program or anything like that. Like it's whatever people want to do that helps them is is for them. I I found a program that works for me, and uh, ended up you know finding that book. So I I read through it and I read you know a step a day, and then in my head somehow I was like, okay, I'll work the steps. Good, you know. So so then I I put together like 90 days, right? And to celebrate those 90 days, I went out and drank. Whoa. You know, and so. It's because I thought like, I'm, I've got the confidence now, you know, like I'm rebuilding that confidence that I can control it because I just went 90 days without it, right? So that mm -hmm. means I should be able to moderate. I've learned my lesson. Mm -hmm. That goes into another, you know, six months of just nightmarish hell of trying to control it. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I would piece together another 100 days or something like that. And, um, and then I would, you know, get to the point where, uh, you know, so people had to, and, and, and I, I guess I won't get into, you know, who, who they are for, for these people's privacy. Um, but I started kind of like stealing booze. I couldn't, I couldn't control uh, just all of it. Like any moderation was just gone. Like I, okay. I could not uh, control any, any amount of drinking at all. And, and would go on like four or five day benders, just drinking all day, every day. And I just don't remember anything from those days. And it got to the point where someone sat me down, someone very important in my life, uh, had an intervention with me. Uh, and they said, look, you know, like we're worried about you. Um, and I already knew why they were worried and I just hadn't accepted it yet. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I told this person, you know, I'm an alcoholic. It was the first time I ever said it out loud to someone else. And uh, I was so, it was so hard to say because I was so scared that that person was going to think I was like, like a leper or like a, you know, just outcast of society. I, th I thought my life was over if I, if I said those words. And uh, he didn't say anything. He walked over to me and he hugged me. And it was, it's just not what I expected was that kind of grace, you know. Um, and so that re, it, it re-motivated me to, to continue uh, piecing together days on my own, right? <clears throat> so then I went like 100 days and I ended up going to a film festival and I was in an environment, there's people drinking and it was in Florida and, and the party's on, you know? Um, and so I, I, I just, I, I did good for like a day and a half, right? And then I just, I didn't have the willpower and I ended up having a drink just to kind of chill the nerves and I'm like, it's cool, like I can, I'll be all right. And uh, at this stage, was this, it was this in company that knew the dynamic already yeah. or you were and so like, low? Like I was like telling people like, look, help me. I'm not drinking anymore, you know? And so what that, what that did was that, uh, that addictive voice starts to justify mm -hmm. shitty behavior. And that shitty behavior meaning like fucking, you know, hiding things or lying or like, hey, I'm gonna go to the bathroom real quick. Go to the bar, mm -hmm. you know? And like in St. Petersburg, all the bars are like next to each other and that's where I was. So, and I used to work down there. So like I knew people working. And so I would, steal, I would like steal into a place. And I, you know, I was living in Atlanta at the time. So 
I'd go into a place and recognize the bartender and they're like, what's up? I'm like, hey, how you doing, man? Just have a drink. Yeah. And they would just like give me a shot and hit it real quick and then I'd leave. You know, oh, was, wow. Uh, and it was just another relapse mm -hmm. with the same fucking outcome, same problems. And, and this time, without going into detail, I like, I'd severely fucked up to where it like, oh, no. it was, it was, I think it's even worse than me, you know, accidental overdose. Like it's it's worse than that. Okay. Because it involved other people. Yeah. And um, we'll spare those details. Yeah. And so I so I I came home from that, and and just had to and I had to talk it out, and just be at peace with with everything, and uh, and that that was like the. That was when, I had like a mental switch. It was like, I, I almost, it was so, it's so weird. Like I didn't, uh, me dying wasn't enough. <laughs> yeah. But, but hurting someone I loved, that was like where I drew the line, right? right. And that kind of gives you an idea of like the value I held, I held for myself, you know? Um, and so I just absolutely destroyed somebody and seeing the look on their face and hearing the tremble in their voice. I decided I'm going to an AA meeting first thing in the morning. And I kept that promise to myself. I found one that was close enough to walk to. And, uh, and that, was, uh, that was the last time I drank. And I've been going to meetings since. And I've been, me chills, man. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's a really hard thing, man. Like on both ends, but it's you got to choose your heart. Mm. It was a very clear choice that I was making to stay in that suffering, and I was making other people suffer. It was a liability to to everyone in my life. It was a liability to myself. It was clear that you know, um, I just I didn't care about myself enough to to make a change. Mm -hmm. You know. Uh, and it, so I think everyone's going to have their own personal journey uh, and they got to figure out what it is that, that really clicks with them. I happen to be, you know, um, very, very empathetic and, and the promises that I make to other people are more important to me, were more important to me than the promises I would make to myself uh, because that's just kind of how I was built with just abandonment trauma and like wanting to be liked and loved and, and yearning for that. I'm a, I'm a people pleaser. I'm an overworker. You know, I do all of these things, uh, or I was doing. It's still so fresh. I was doing all those things um, out of a desire to win people's love mm -hmm. and attention. You know, um, and then once I realized that, and uh, I was able to, to work the program, and the, and the program asked you to take an inventory and kind of figure these things out. Like you got to sit down and actually, it's like you got homework. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like, how? What are the things that I fear? And like, what you know, what what's driving this decision? Why do I feel this way? What's making me feel this way? Um, and once you kind of shine a light on those things, then you start to realize, like, it starts to become apparent. You're like, mm -hmm. oh, that thing that happened to me when I was a, a kid really defined who I was going to become for the essentially for the rest of my life. And if mm -hmm. I didn't get in front of that fucking 
you know, train, I guess, uh, and, and, and change the track, it was going down a really bad road, yeah. you know? And, um, and I was aware of that, but it's just, they say that like every alcoholic like needs to hit rock bottom, if not multiple times, uh, because you, it's, it's hard to, to say some of these things definitively, but for me, like I hadn't suffered enough until I finally did to lose the judgment of asking for help, mm-hmm. to, to, to just get beaten into the ground so thoroughly and so brutally that I stopped fucking judging the thing that was supposed to help me. Mm-hmm. Stop holding on to this confidence of, of like being a fucking man. Because for some reason in my head, admitting that I needed help wasn't manly. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't uh, something that I could admit to because it, it just, and I'll just be very direct because it was always the shit that I kind of heard, but it was like admitting that I needed help, that meant I was a fucking pussy, mm-hmm. you know? Don't be a fucking pussy. I'm always hearing that shit in my head, you know? And so it was like I had this battle with masculinity and masculinity was preventing me from healing. It was preventing yeah. me from, from, from confronting these well, and, things. And, and, and to hear that, like the, the battle with the masculinity, it was like the unhealthy masculinity. Yes. It's the yeah, desire yeah, yeah. for self-preservation and pride yeah. that you don't want to show your true colors because then that's when you're perceived as weak and you want to be seen as strong. And so it's, it's the true masculine nature that you can realize that you are as you are all you need to be, yeah. that that is the true essence of masculinity. And when you can find the, the ability to ask for help, it's like the lone wolf. What happens to the lone wolf? He fucking dies. It's the one surrounded by support in a pack right. that survives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, so let me reframe that because I'm, I'm really glad that you took that opportunity to, to expand on that. Masculinity in and of itself is not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's a, it's a wonderfully fucking beautiful thing when it's, when it's used and and kind of operated within the right way, you know? Uh, it's when, it's, it's more of like the, the, the toxicity of, of any fucking gender, not just masculine, whatever. It's toxic behaviors across mm-hmm. the board um, that, that kind of imprison us in these, in these kind of thought systems that may not be the most healthy for us. Yeah. For me in particular as an individual, the, the, the more toxic nature of uh, going out and drinking booze and smoking cigarettes and you know, driving fast and yeah. chasing women. You don't find less confidence when you're drinking. <laughs> exactly. And yeah. so it's, I don't know, I was just, I thought I was, I was living this life that I thought meant I was you know, this kind of strong, capable person. And it was, I was really like, just a cartoon character. You know what I mean? Like it was... it, it's so fortunate that I met you when I did hearing your, your story because we probably wouldn't have gotten along. I mean, no. I probably would have enjoyed your company, but I probably wouldn't have hung out with you because I'm like, you know, so to hear all those things and, and it's just so clear to me as you download your experience and, and equally as I, as I know you now as an individual, yeah. um, so much of, of who we are, you know, the, the success we find, the opportunities we we manifest in so many ways is when we let go of the desire the need for control and it's that like really unhealthy fixation on control that that warps 
our realities and turns us into these these individuals, these cartoon characters that we are not. Yeah. Um, and so to hear hear that story and, and just see now where you are at this grounded state of uh, of experience is just it's refreshing, and it's validating because it's confirmation equally me on my journey that by gravitating towards individuals not uh, like you not because i desire a need that for me it's because i see me in you you know it's that unhealthy boundary that like i'm like i need that for me so i can feel that i have it for me it's, it's more that like you know uh, as a mirror um yeah and so it's, it's really i'm grateful for our relationship and then equally the the lessons that you've lived uh, that I can then learn from. Um, who yeah. goes to you? Thanks, dude. I um I enjoy you know being in the presence of guys like you too because uh, there's a there's a frequency that we have tapped into. Sixty nine hundred megahertz. Hey, I'm gonna agree, but I don't know. Lame joke. Sixty nine. <laughs> so, but the that frequency gets stronger. You know what I mean? Um, us just being here sharing and and. Uh, it's on the path that I am very fortunate and, and grateful to be on now. Um, and it takes work. I said it earlier, man, like choose your hard, you know, like it's, it's not easy getting up early. Mm-hmm. It's not easy getting to the gym every single day. It's not easy to run miles and miles. I've seen those day. abs looking good. But hey, thanks, bud. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. um, it's, it's hard to, uh, to keep those promises to yourself, especially when you have a brain like mine, and 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 the only reason I don't take hours is because I don't want to diagnose you with anything that, you know. What are you talking about? I'm perfect. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> I can see that. Well, uh, I wanted to speak to uh, when you say do the work. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a, a friend, uh, a dear friend, that um, commented on something I shared at some some stage of like, you know, I always see people talking about doing the work. Like, what is the work? And uh, to hear and to, to read it, I could hear it in, in, uh, in their voice that I was like, I could, the frustration because uh, when you're saying doing the work, it's not like it's a, a handbook or homework or whatever. It's, just, it's the idea that you got to not sniff your own farts and realize, you know, with that level of self-awareness, like what needs to change and, and show up for it daily. Uh, it, it, speak to that just as far as like what it means to do the work, like for someone that may not get Yeah, I think... I think for me, uh, to do the work, the, the very first thing you need is a, is a desire for change. Mm-hmm. Um, and that desire has to come from something that you're doing that you're just not satisfied with, that you're not comfortable with anymore, a change that you want to make, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's where you start. You let that lead you to, you start doing your research and you find something that speaks to your fucking soul, like to your heart. You know what I mean? Some people find that in religion. Some people find it in fitness. Some people find it, you know, in a 12-step program. You know, I just, I just read The Artist's Way. Uh, that's, that's like a 12-week thing, right, to, to get back in touch with your creative spirit, right? So there's things out there that I, I credit with doing the work is, is finding a way of life, principles from Bibles or whatever it might be that resonates with you. And then you start taking the tools from that program and you start infusing them with your life. Mm-hmm. Um, because what I've done, you know, I can't sit here and like 
quote the, the 12 steps, I probably can't even name all of them off like in a row, you know what I mean? It's not like I'm like religious about this thing, yeah. but in, in reading it and in reflecting on it and journaling about it, consuming this information, it then starts to influence my behavior. Mm -hmm. And now I'm taking a second to sit and relax and think about how I want to conduct myself rather than to reacting, mm -hmm. than just reacting to the world around me. That in, in essence, I believe is doing the work. If you can ha develop that self-awareness, and for me, it's called you know, like a addictive voice recognition technique. I refer to it as like the beast. Okay. The beast is that voice that tells me I can have one drink. Oh, dude, you just accomplished this awesome thing. You can have one beer. That's the beast. Mm -hmm. And so to counteract that, I, in my journal, uh, I constantly reaffirm that my goal now moving forward in life is to be the good beast. Because that one that I hear is, that's the bad beast. And so if I am the good beast, then I'm making the decision that that beast doesn't want me to. Mm -hmm. If it's telling me to go to the bar, I'm gonna go to run. Um, that's doing the work, developing the awareness. Yeah, I think uh, when I read her, her reply and then equally when I reached out to her, it was a similar expression with just the idea of like, you know, whatever your situation, if it's not ideal, like people are so adverse to change, even when the thing they're changing from is terrible. Because like you say, it's like until you're, you're ready for that change, you know, it's not gonna be for you, but. Um, yeah, you have, you, have to, you have to want it bad enough. You gotta want it. To not. To and not then show up daily to, it. yeah, show up daily to ask yourself like, nope, still want it. And then yeah. be, be ready for that constant conversation. And equally the work is never done. It's not something you're like, no, you finish and you're like, all right, now I'm better. So, like, so with me in, in, in you know, in, in my realm, uh, I used to think like, oh yeah, you know, I, I work these steps or I do the work or whatever, and then I'm good, I'm recovered. That's not the case, you know what I mean? Like, I will always, it's my makeup to be an addict. Mm -hmm. It's, I have an addict's brain and like, and, and chemical, you know, there's a chemistry to it for me, at least that's what I believe. Mm -hmm. And uh, I will always be in recovery. And once, once I got cool with that and I realized, okay, this is, this is a lifestyle switch. This is just what I need to do now. Mm -hmm. You know, for me, I look at it as, as, I mean, some people get like a terminal disease or something like that. And that shit fucking sucks, you know? And those people have to, they have to switch up their life to, to deal with that now. Like my, my father has rheumatoid arthritis. Like his lifestyle has changed. He has to do things a certain way now because that's, it's just a part of who he is. Mm -hmm. and, there's, and there's not, that I'm aware of, there's not a cure. There's still like testing shit for that. So I have to think about it in the, in the same way that there is a cure for what I have. I just have to find it every day. And it takes different tools. So I gotta, I gotta find a new weapon, you know? Mm -hmm. And I have to go to war every day with this thing. And that war gets a little bit easier when you've got the right tools yep. on your belt, you know? Um, yeah, it's, I think, I think it's, it's holding on to the, to that, to that 
either the past life or holding on to the idea that you don't have this thing that keeps mm -hmm. you sick. You know, big part of, of how I live my life now is, is surrender, surrendering control. Yeah. You know, surrendering to a higher power as, as I understand him and how whoever wants to understand whatever that is, just acknowledging that there's higher power at play here, it's not me, that opened my fucking world wide open, dude. Mm -hmm. Wide open. I think eliminating that expectation, that desire for things to be this way or that way, mm -hmm. getting out of that 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 need, yeah, really lets lets you flourish because then you're just so accepting, and that surrender is is what, in in my equal uh, uh, perspective, it's just like what the universe is like. When you're ready, we're here. You know, you show up for yourself, we'll show up for you. Yeah, get out of the fucking way. Yeah. It's already here. <laughs> it's not thinking that you got to twist the right knob to do the right thing. To, like, if you could just chill the fuck out, accept things as they are, be the best for that, then then that's usually the, the necessary thing. It's funny, though, because we think we got to figure it out sometimes. Yeah, we do. Yeah. And, and still, you know, like it's, a, and that's, that's why it's like a daily thing. That's that's what doing the work is, is every day. Well, that's why guys like you are so valuable in my camp and, and you as an individual need to be seeking out individuals that like you never want to be the smartest in the room you never want to be you know the right. best whatever because then you're done growing and yeah. if you're done growing then you're dying yeah and so finding the individuals that can make you iron sharpens iron so if that's that's what we're about you know and that's why i'm so grateful for for meg you know she's like i say it all the time like she won't let me sniff my own farts you know it's crude but it's to say that like she's not letting anything slip by she goes what's this what are you doing and i'm like uh nothing yeah <laughs> it's, it's a fine like finding friends that can keep you in check yeah. is so valuable yeah. and a lot of people whether they don't have access to those individuals are too insecure to seek those individuals out or too desperate for you know the validation or the people pleasing that they think they think they can't find or challenge you know others in in that world to find that for themselves it's it's, it's interesting interesting but yeah mm. i think that's a. Uh... That's a sign of like a really good, true, genuine friend. If you can pull someone aside and, and, and do like a check, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, 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 how are you? How are you? Like, yeah. How are things going? I'm noticing a little bit of this. Like, is that why you're talking shit about my setup when you came in here? What? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely, absolutely. A fortunate experience I just had, um, uh, where I'm quick. I'm I'm quick to to be there for someone in, in, in so many ways, uh, and and uh, not being specific, but I just had an individual go through a a big relationship that, you know, I had at some point had to take a break from it because I was like, until you're ready to show up yourself, I can't do anything more for you. Yeah. And unless you want me to hate your guts, I'll be on the backside. Yeah. Uh, and sure enough, you know, after time and 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 enough suck sucked. They woke up and, and, and realized equally, like, oh, I got I to gotta choose me for, for a moment and uh, to loop back around and reconnect. At the time, it was ugly in, in such a way, it could be perceived as ugly, that it was like, you know, you're being a dick. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm choosing to love you. It was nice, a validating experience to have after the fact, them come to me and be like, that's what I wanted. And it was devastating when it was severed. Yeah. When that connection was severed and I knew it wasn't because you were being a dick, it was because I was fucking up. Yeah. Um, which is nice. It's not, and that's not why I'm into it, but it was just, you know, one of those things that, that uh, along the way you can find as an affirmation 
in the experience, but. Yeah, well, I mean, if we, if we don't speak up on some things, we're enabling them, mm -hmm. you know. Um, when I'm curious, like, uh, I'm, I'm not so familiar with the steps. I could probably, you know, spitball them, but um, with the idea of enabling, like, a deeper level that sometimes people don't realize that when they think they're protecting someone from something, yeah. they're ultimately taking the opportunity for growth from that individual. Yeah realistically it's because they are so insecure that they're going to offend that person and they're going to be upset at them. And so it's actually a selfish choice. Mm. And so with that kind of framing with the, the steps is that I didn't know if that was something that they, that they speak to. It's like, Oh, you, you like specific to enabling and, and things like that. Like you're just being selfish. Actually, if I give him booze, it's ultimately because you don't want to hear him, you know, whether it's sober up or want the booze, like you're just doing for you. Um, I didn't know if there was any tools in that in that bag of uh, of things to, to. I don't know if it would be for an enabler. What was it? Um, what's the one? I was watching the bear. You watched the bear? Yes, chef. Have I watched the bear? Yes, chef. Holy shit! What a good show, man! Is it just like gives me anxiety through the roof? But so fun. Um, <laughs> um he attends these. Uh, which, as an aside, this individual that is so terrible with conflict resolution nobody can have a sensible conversation in their fucking kitchen it's just a shit show can show up to therapy and just be the most eloquent and open individual ever it's like all right find a little consistency there but whatever yeah. what are those meetings called that he goes to uh i think i think he's in um al-anon al-anon and that's for individuals with an individual that's yeah so that's like spouses and like children of alcoholics and what in your world, I believe, that are, is, is that associated? Is that connected or is that a totally separate? Yeah, yeah. So uh, from what I understand, they work a similar program, if not, you know, almost the same program. Okay. It's, it's, uh, it's I think it's just geared towards their position in that relationship dynamic. But it's still, I guess, rooted in the idea that, like, you're not going to want change for someone else until they want it for themselves. Like, you show up for you and that's the change that they would need themselves. That sounds kind of accurate. I've I've yet to be to an Al-Anon. So yeah. Not really educated on the, you know. I'll, I'll do my next podcast at an Al-Anon meeting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's I look. I think any kind of group setting where people can air out what they've got going on and they can safely explore. Yeah. That and then hear from other people. Like, it, dude, I first started going to meetings and I just started like pouring my heart out. This one thing would like make me want to cry. I'd be sitting here just dumping it, right? And then I would just see this around the room. And like that, just that little motion, people's head bobbing. I felt so hurt and understood. I'd never felt so hurt and understood in my entire fucking world. Well, I guess what you're saying right now is exactly what I missed in the show. My frustration with him being so terrible at communication skills in his own world but so open in that group setting is exactly what you're describing and why I fucking missed the point. Well, that is where he's not feeling judged. He's feeling received. He's safe. He's safe. safe. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and, yeah. and as much <laughs> as we want to say, as much as we want to say that we feel safe around our peers and the people in our life, yeah. we're not. I mean, that's, that is the trick of, you know, the anonymous bit is that we can go and sit in the circle and it's like, no one fucking knows each other, you know? So we can, we can go in there and feel like we can actually dig this stuff out and ultimately 
I'm never going to see you again unless it's here. So like, I don't really care if you judge me kind of thing, you know, so you can just really let the stuff out that, that you wouldn't otherwise, because I'm, I'm not going to sit in a, in a, a room with my friends. It's, it's selective. I don't think I'm going to pour out anything and everything that I would in a meeting like this where it's anonymous and a bunch of strangers, but it still needs to be said because I need to work it out. Well, I'm curious then uh, your perspective on the idea that, because I, I hear you and uh, I understand um, where I beg to differ is that the, the it's so comfortable and safe in that, in that meeting, the reality being the more that you can be that open in the world is the fastest way you can eliminate individuals in your life that actually aren't there for you. They're not serving you and ultimately that honesty and, and ability to be walls down gets you to that place of, of safety in the world yeah. that like, you know. And you only get there by making that choice. Correct. And it's essentially the reason why I'm here with you today. Yeah. And and this is the first time that I've spoke openly about this kind of stuff uh, in in this format, certainly. Well, right now it's me listening and my mom. So and your mom, my big, my biggest fan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know if you even listen to them, but yeah. But I mean, it's it's it can be scary to talk about things. Absolutely, you know. Uh, and so sometimes it's easier to go to a meeting where it's anonymous just mm -hmm. to get that stuff out and get comfortable with to build that muscle of of sharing and kind of getting the stuff out of you. Well, and absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Sorry. The um the life you've lived to now, I imagine, is so um you know, obviously you reflect on it with with the uh, you know clear eye now, but like some of it informs your stories you write, the characters you play. Dude, it's a know, massive influence on yeah. uh a contract right now, I guess. It wasn't brought to me with the intent for that experience. Um and it just started kind of making its way into it because it's all very strong and it's such a big presence in my life. And uh, the people that I'm working with are, are happy with it. So it's, yeah. you know, now I'm starting to understand why they say like, write what you know, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, and speaking of that experience is, is, is so invaluable. One thing that I think about uh, my time growing up into my time in Los Angeles and then the business I'm, I'm in and how I operate, there was a period where when I first got to LA that I was so, um, I had such desire for, to be this artist in such a way that like, I convinced myself that my life is so easy. I live a life, I live a life of ease, which is true to a degree. And, and I still, you know, you know, I, I create the world I live in. Um, but at the time, I was like, I haven't lived, man. I haven't seen things. And, like, if I'm supposed to be playing these characters or be this actor, like, you know, I want, I, I wish I had more experiences as such. Yeah. You know, fast forward a decade, I'm like, I wish I shut my fucking mouth because having lived all those experiences and more and equally identifying that, the, the, you know, every child, every individual lives a life. It may not be as clear as, like, oh, yeah, I was a crack addicted baby. <laughs> now, we all have our different <laughs> demons along the way, but, but it, nobody's not affected but um it was just curious because it was just such a a desire i had that i was like man i wish i had lived this life of you know 
be or this life of, of hardship that I could be this informed actor that I had these, you know, things to draw on where now I'm like, man, I wish that on no one. Like being content and, and just equally, it's not something I was ready to learn at that stage or age either, but it's yeah. one of those funny hindsight as such things where I'm like, yeah, shut your freaking mouth, dude. Yeah, I think there's a, I don't know, feel free to, to reroute this if we go down the wrong path, but I, I think there is a desire uh, out there for, uh, it's it's almost like, this. sorry to, you know, do your thing. This one's still good. This one's powered. This one's powered. Super powered. This is uh, exactly how it's supposed to be, and honestly, it's where I desire these. Um, uh, the podcast to go in general. Um, I love learning about people, and I, I do have a lot of really fascinating friends that do really cool shit at a really high level, but it's my uh, desire that when I have these conversations that we can touch on that, talk about it, but I want to learn about the person underneath that stuff that got them there or how they're wired. I think that's far more interesting than like you know setting records or... Totally. Whatever. And so these these are the conversations that I want. Yeah. yeah. Fortunately, you've done the work as such that you're ready for that conversation. Yeah. Um, but it's 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 my intent that I can show up for people in a way that they feel comfortable to have those deeper conversations with me. Yeah. Um, yeah. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. All right. Well, I think I was on. Uh, there's this weird thing right now that it's an observation. I don't know if it's like a thing. You tell me if you've seen it too, but it's almost as if there's some sort of value attached to being oppressed. It feels like there's people, the fucking internet, man. We're gonna get in trouble. <laughs> there's just, there's, it's, yeah. It's like, uh, it's just, there's this yearning to be like the most oppressed person, you know? And it's kind of, it's, it's crazy to witness because like you said, like, I don't fucking wish that shit on anybody. You know what I mean? But it's like everyone kind of wants some sort of like pity or. I think it's just equally uh, like the victim mentality is addictive. Yeah. And there's, and this could make us sound like, you know, grandpa's on our lawn. Get out of here. <laughs> that it's like the, you know, the kids today just want to be seen. And so identifying a piece in that 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 victimhood of like i have this this is my diagnosis like i'm adhd i'm autistic i'm whatever it's because they can't stand on their own two feet yet that they're finding these things that define them mm -hmm. that they you know I, I i i would be so much more if not for all these underlying things right. and so i don't know if that's uh new per se i bet every generation has like that's what it sounds like when they're like kids are coming up they're like all you do is bitch you have it so easy compared to how i had it and that's the conversation as it always goes but i mean the the internet certainly puts a, a magnifying glass on all of it and like really ramps it up and makes it a lot more um audible uh, i try to tune out like i don't watch the news anymore like if we're watching tv it's to you know see a um you know an episode of of 
X, Y, Z or whatever the movie was. It's, right. We're not seeing that, like, whatever. Um, but I, I, I see that, too, for sure, but I don't know if it's, if it's an effect or a cause or new or old or... Yeah. Well, so we can agree that it exists, and I don't know that we need it to, exists. like, you know, get too, too deep into that because I, I certainly am, you know, uh, I have no intent to offend anybody or, or devalue anyone's situation or whatever it is that they're dealing with in their lives. Like, I, I don't know, I'm very empathetic uh, in the sense that you know, I, I, I feel very strongly for, what's that? It could be that like we have just so many plastic products now that all these kids are fucked. What do you mean? Like, you know, like all the paraffins and, and like, you know, microwaving and plastics and like every, all of our water bottles that like, yeah. maybe they're all right. Maybe they are. Yeah, maybe it's all like compounding and just. Maybe we were the last best, you know? Right. <laughs> I kid, I kid. We're joking. I kid. Uh, yeah. I don't, I don't know. The internet's a scary place, man. Uh, I try not to, I try not to uh, participate too much. Because um, I, I mean, dude, it's such a. If for anything, for the massive time suck it becomes, you know, like it's my, when I put my phone down and I focus on doing things, like my productivity is insane. The minute, like I have to remove Instagram from my phone because I will just subconscious, I'll be waiting for something and just boom. It's like I'm on fucking autopilot, pulling that thing up and then I just start scrolling and then like 10, 15 minutes later, I'm like, what am I doing? You know, get rid of it. So it's, it's a thing. I delete Instagram and then I'll, I'll uninstall it and then reinstall it like two or three times in a day sometimes because yeah. then I realize I have to contact someone who's only through there or whatever. Yeah. It's just so in, like ingrained in our lives. It is a, a weird, because I, I do the same dance as well, like equally with social media and then specifically TikTok. Yeah. Like that's crack to me where uh, I'm not a consumer. Yeah. I'm a creator. Um, and so it's more fun for me to think of an idea for a video or come up with this thing. Uh, it's frustrating when the algorithm doesn't support any such, you know, creation anymore. It's just looking for like, you know, this new way you're supposed to be on social media. But TikTok, I don't know how that program's set up, but man, does it hook me. Yeah. If I just don't like fall into a, a hole for 45 minutes where I've yeah. not, what have I even watched? Right, right. But, that is there, so I frequently, but then you're like, well, I got to share this because it's part of my brand if I'm not putting out and using the tools available, yeah. and so then you beat yourself up that way. And Dude. But uh, that's akin to all the other things that we do uh, in moderation is, is the thing, and I think you know, actively deleting it, if that's the uh, little stop loss along the way. Fortunately, Instagram and TikTok and all these tools aren't as debilitating as uh, alcohol. Right. But it's it's no different, yeah. um, and so it's still. I mean, I think it's still activating the same like receptors. In it's our all brain dopamine and it's all, hits, and yeah. it's it's given us a shot of something that it's yeah. given us the pleasure, you know. Uh, it's tapping into that that pleasure, and that's kind of what we're seeking because that's given us that little bit of escape, mm-hmm. and and that's the interesting thing too about like addiction and and like I'm an alcoholic, but it's like it's almost like addict is the more defined thing because it's with like. Anything. It can be with social media, it can yeah. be like, you know, bubbly water, you know. I have one, and then as soon as that one's gone, I want another one. You know, it's like sweets and just about you know, anything. I think on the way here, I was thinking about, uh, like, the things that I eat, like, the type of candy. Like, I just burn through, like, a whole pack of Reese's Puffs in, like, three days. And it's because, like, once I have one, I pop and I can't stop, you know. If I'm, uh, you know, I stay... 
uh, I like to think I stay pretty uh, consistent and healthy, like in, in any number of things. But the less I drink, you know, if I'm if I'm drinking, you know, beers here, or there, anywhere, I'm more of a salty guy. If I'm like, oh no, I gotta, you know, drop a couple, or I want to tighten up for whatever reason, my sweets kick in, and I'm like, we should have ice cream. You know, we didn't have any beers. We could yeah, have ice cream. It's yeah. like a weird my my chemicals trip that way. Yeah. That like yeah, I could run through a bag of fucking. Uh, Sour Patch Kids. Yeah, dude, I I like I yearn for sugar like crazy after like a hardcore sweat. Going a long run. Do you think I get that's home, the I'm biggest? I'm just like looking for like <laughs> like scanning like a fucking robot. What has sugar? Do you think in, in all things that you know you could be addicted to that that's one of the biggest? I mean, it's arguably one of the biggest killers. Heart disease and all things yeah. in and around, Debil- uh, diabetes, debilities, diabetes. <laughs> diabetes. That, um, that, that since it's not alcohol and we're not like, you know, punching somebody in the face after a, a, a bag of Sour Patch Kids, that that's actually the, the most addictive substance out there. Like a silent People killer. don't realize how dangerous it actually is. Dude, coffee, caffeine. Yeah. That's, I'm like... Kind of, that's like my next battle, you know what I mean? Like, I'm trying to wean myself off of I say this after, like, two cups of coffee and a C4. Holy moly. Yeah, I went to the gym. I was doing something, I think. Yeah. Just having a heart attack. I mean, I, I, it's, it's a very similar battle, man. Like, I, I get halfway done with a cup of coffee, and I start thinking about the one I'm going to have after it. And that's an addictive voice, right? I'm like, uh, 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 I got to shut that shit down. My go-to justification, uh, and it's totally... Uh, the unhealthy way of operating is like comparison, which is the the thief of joy. Uh, when you can compare, like, oh, so and so had, you know, 22 beers. Like you think of like Ozzy Osbourne, how is that guy still alive? Yeah, you're like, I'm not that bad. He did all the drugs. Yeah, and that's the same for you know yeah. caffeine or like. There's always somebody that's like way more off the rocker than you, and you're like, eh. but that that's just obviously a funny, silly. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, we've been talking for a, a long time, and I feel like we could talk about uh, a thousand more things, um, and I, I plan to. Yeah. But as far as episode 15, yeah, man. you did it. Yeah. Stay off social media, kids. <laughs> you took any from that, anything yeah, from that. The whole Stay off social media. That was it. <laughs> um, I'm super grateful uh, you were able to come out. Um, I want to have you sign the table. Yeah, man. Uh, but before you sign the table, this is your opportunity uh, to plug any of those socials and or projects you have coming up that you want to bring attention to. Yeah. Uh, and you can, assuming this is still recording, uh, deliver it right Red there. Light. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me, first and foremost. Um, if you made it all the way to this point in the video, congratulations on listening to me ramble like a madman uh, and, and share some stuff for the first time that I'm learning to get comfortable with. So thank you for Give me that platform. Uh, you can find me on Instagram. That's kind of the only one that I use. Underscore Sean Gloria. Sean spelled S E A N. That is the only proper way. The correct way. Spell it. Um, I think tomorrow. I'm not sure when this is going to release, but uh, if you go to Airy Productions on YouTube, that's A E R I. Uh, that is a group of Florida peeps, actually, that I've been working with, and we're pumping out some, some content, some short-form stuff on YouTube, Instagram, um, in works towards making feature films. You know, that's always the goal. So 
You can spot me uh, on the first season of BMF that's on Stars Network, produced by 50 Cent, Tasha Smith. Um, and I play Detective Lopez in that. You can spot me on FBI as Ricky Marino. And uh, yeah, keep an eye out. I'm just auditioning and hoping that someone hires me someday. Again and again. Yeah, we didn't even touch on any of your, your, your film accolades already, but uh, uh, season frail. I mean, we can always, we can always come back and, and do it again. Well, I mean, it's inevitable you'll be back on, on the pod. Um, all right, here's your... Do it. Is this still, still uh, does this still process rolling. get rolled on? Yeah, this is kind of like the credits. Where's the, uh, uh, do you, you pick care? your poison size, position, wherever there's a bunch under there. If you wanted to be that guy, not, Mr. Man of Excess. Not be that guy. My days of excess are over, my friend. Hey. Oh, good choice. That was a good choice. Um, and usually, uh, at this stage, I, I cut all the cameras and then I, I move on and um, cut it together at whatever stage and, and blah.